Dear church family, as we come to worship this evening, our call to worship comes from Psalm 115, verses 9 through 13. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us, and he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. Please turn with me in the scriptures to the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. We will read verses 1 through 24. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, Neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor, and for all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great? Who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I have set before you this day? Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy son, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons, especially the day that thou stood before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. And ye came near, and stood under the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire unto the midst of heaven, with darkness, clouds, and thick darkness. And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. Ye heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude. Only ye heard a voice, 
And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform even ten commandments. And he wrote them upon two tables of stones, of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go over to possess it. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves. For ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, lest ye corrupt yourselves, and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male and or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth. Unless thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance, as ye are this day. And furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sake, and swear that I should not go over Jordan, and that I should not go in unto that good land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not go over Jordan. But ye shall go over and possess that good land. Take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image, or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. So far the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Dear church family, once more this evening we will turn to our study of the law of God. And as we do so, we will consider Lord's Day 35 from the Heidelberg Catechism, which you can find on page 72 in the back of your Psalter. And we'll consider questions 96 through 98. Question 96. What does God require in the second commandment? Answer. That we in no wise represent God by images, nor worship him in any other way than he has commanded in his word. Question 97. Are images then not at all to be made? God neither can nor may be represented by any means. But as to creatures, though they may be represented, yet God forbids to make or have any resemblance of them, either in order to worship them or to serve God by them. And question 98. But may not images be tolerated in the churches as books to the laity? Answer, no. 
For we must not pretend to be wiser than God, who will have his people taught not by dumb or silent images, but by the living and lively preaching of his word. As we come to the second commandment this evening, one might ask, well, what, what is the, the difference? What's the difference between the first commandment and the second? Well, you recall, children, the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before you. No other gods. And as we considered it two weeks ago, you will remember that we are called to give ourselves in wholehearted allegiance to serve the one true God of the heavens and of the earth. But now in this second commandment, we're called not to have any graven images. And maybe, maybe one of, some of you children are saying, well, what's the difference? No other gods, no graven images. Isn't a graven image just a representation of a god? And yes, but there is a slight difference. At the heart of the first commandment, there is only one god to be worshipped. Only one. Because there are no other gods. And at the heart of the second commandment, the Lord is addressing the manner, the manner in which we are to worship this one true God. Alistair Begg puts it well. He says, it is not enough to worship the correct God, but the correct God needs to be worshipped correctly. It's not enough to worship the correct God, the one true God, but the one true God must be worshipped correctly. But maybe someone, maybe someone is asking, we don't carve ourselves images, graven images, or bow down to them physically in front of you. Children, I don't think you have an image that has been carved that's like a shrine in your homes where you worship. But we know that we are not to have them and to worship them and serve them these physical images. So then the question, maybe someone's asking, well, what is the relevance then? How, how is the second commandment applied to us today? What does that look like for us today when we are commanded not to have graven images? Well, as we consider our passage from Deuteronomy chapter 4, looking at particularly verses 9 through 23, I trust that we will see this evening that this second commandment has significant relevance for our daily lives in how we think about and how we approach and worship and serve the one true God. And Moses is going to emphasize that we, we need to take heed. Three times Moses confronts us with this command, this imperative, the strong imperative 
to take heed. In verses 9, 15, and 23, only take heed to thyself, in verse 9, and then in 2015, take heed, therefore, good heed unto yourselves. And then verse 23 again, take heed unto yourselves. Three times the Lord issues this command through his servant Moses to the children of Israel and by extension us as well to carefully take heed to to ourselves. But what do we need to take heed of? What is the context? Well, with every command that he gives here of taking heed, Moses ties it directly to the idea of having the Lord did not reveal himself in, in any likeness, in any physical similitude. We see this, for example, in verse 9, we read the command, only take heed to thyself. And then a few verses later in verse 12, but you saw no similitude or no likeness of me. In verse 15, as the command comes again, take ye therefore good or careful heed to yourselves. Why? For you saw no manner of similitude or likeness on the day that the Lord spake unto you. And then verse 23 again, take heed unto yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image the likeness or the similitude of anything. Three times this command comes with reference to the reality that God did not reveal himself in invisible manifestations. And therefore, and therefore we, we are to worship him and serve him not through images, of something of our making, where we are to worship him as he instructs us to. But not only did this threefold command to take heed come to us, does it come to us, but the Lord in his, in his grace and mercy gives us reasons why we should take heed. And we want to look at these three reasons in relation to the command and their implications, these, the reasons, the implications of these reasons, so that we know how we are to worship the one true God correctly in a manner that is pleasing to Him. So, our theme this evening is a threefold call to take heed to the second commandment because. In the first place, God reveals himself through words. And second, because God must not and cannot be misrepresented. And third, because God is a a jealous God. You recall from two weeks ago that we, in this fifth book of Moses, Moses is, we're nearing the end of Moses' life. Israel is on the verge of entering into the land of Canaan. And Moses speaks into the people that he's been leading now for some 40 years, one last time, with one final word. And as he does so, he he directs their attention to the law of God. 
And really, Deuteronomy becomes an exposition of that law to, to the Israelites. A law that he says if they keep, they would have life and freedom. Not in the sense that this law keeping would give them life, but they had been given life and it would lead to a freedom and a, a wholehearted love for the Lord. But these commands of the Lord, they're not slavish, not like the Egyptian commands. They're not oppressive and burdensome. But in the context of God's grace and mercy, these commands are are liberating. And they are the means that God has given so that we, the people of God, can further glorify him for what he has done for us. And so as we come to the word tonight, we're, we're confronted with this reality to take heed lest we forget. We're to diligently, to carefully take heed or guard ourselves or be on guard. This is to be an active pursuit. It's just not something passive, but constantly with, with intentionality, we are to Pay attention to what's going around us. What's going on in our minds? How are we thinking about who the Lord is and what He has done? The Lord desires us to remember. And in this first point, He desires us to remember that He has revealed Himself in and through His Word to us. Moses writes... Take heed to thyself, in verse 9, keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen. Maybe someone says, well, what things did Israel see? Children, did they see God? Did they see God as, as he gave them the law? Did they see him as he was delivering them from Egypt? Did they see a visible manifestation of him? No, they didn't. But it's interesting, as, as Moses tells them, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen. That word for things in the original language is actually words. Lest you forget the words which you have seen. How do you see words? Children, can you see words that are being spoken to you? I think Moses and the Lord himself is drawing the children of Israel's attention. He's drawing our attention to, to the fact and the reality that when the Lord came to them in the giving of the law, there was not much to see. We're told it was dark, There were clouds, there were thick clouds, there was darkness. And Moses is going to go on and point this out. There was nothing to see. Verse 12, you saw no similitude, no likeness of any form of me. But it was through what they heard that they were to see the Lord. Through what they heard, they were to see his beauty his holiness, 
His perfections, His names, His commandments, which are a reflection of His very character. And they're called to take heed, to be in guard, that they don't stray from this word that the Lord has come to them with. This word is, is important, and it's the emphasis of these verses in verses 9 through 14 in this first take heed section. Moses is drawing our attention to the fact that the Lord spoke, and he spoke clearly into their midst. He, he's the one who has said, he's the one who has spoken, he was the one who commanded, he's the one who draws our attention with his words, he's the one who even causes our ears to hear. Note with, note with me as I read verses 10 through uh, 14, the various aspects or ways in which the Lord speaks or what he says. As, as Moses draws, calls their attention, he says, specifically, I want you to think about this day, the day that thou stood before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days of their life, and they shall live upon the earth, that they may teach their children. And you came near, and you stood under the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire unto the midst of heaven, with darkness, clouds, and thick darkness. Children, when it's thick darkness, very hard to see. And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire, and you heard the voice of the words, but you saw no similitude or no likeness. Only you heard a voice. And he, that's the Lord, declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform even ten commandments or ten words, and he wrote them on two tables of stones. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments. Again and again and again, there's an emphasis on the Lord speaking the Lord's word. Over 15 references to words, to speaking, to causing us to hear, coming to us. In contrast to no similitude, no, no likeness, no visible representation. The Lord is saying to the, the children of Israel, he's saying to us, you did not see any likeness of me, any form of me, but you heard my words speaking into your lives. And not only did you hear them, you also received a written form of them on the two tablets of stone. And it is in these words that the Lord says they are to guide you, they are to direct you how to live, but also how to worship and relate to him, the Lord. The word of the Lord is preeminent, it's paramount and it should be in our lives daily. It's a word that we're, use, we're called to use to teach and instruct our children. Not through, not through images and pictures and videos, because we cannot represent God through them. 
And as question 98 of the Catechism says, God, who will have his people taught by the lively preaching of his word. And that's why in our worship services, the preaching of the word is front and center. The word of God becomes front and center of every aspect of our worship. From the very moment that we begin speaking, we we speak God's words. We hear a a call to worship from the word of God. We hear God's, our, our, our need of God's help as we read scripture, as we quote from Psalm 124. We hear his grace, a benediction coming upon us from his own word. We read his word. We pray his word back to him. We hear the word exposited and we respond with singing his word. The word becomes the basis for our worship. a lively, living word. And it is in this word that the Lord calls us to see him, to see him with the eyes of faith, to to behold his beauty and his glory, to behold his majesty, to see his love for sinners and his hatred of sin, to see his power and his might and his wisdom and his honor. To see his holiness and his justice coming together in the cross. To see his transcendence high and lifted up. And his imminence, his his willingness to interact and deal and know with people like us and our cares and needs as as we heard this morning. It's in his word that we see his son gloriously portrayed throughout the pages of Scripture. And friend, these are words that we are not to forget. For in forgetting them, these words, Moses says they will depart from our hearts and our minds all the days of our life, and it leads to ruin, it leads to heartache. And therefore we need, as as we've read already, that we need the Lord to open our ears so that we will hear. Verse 10, the Lord says he will do this. I will make them to hear my words. I will cause them to hear. Oh, that the Lord would cause our ears to be open so that we would hear, not just physically with our external ears, but to hear him with the the ears of our hearts and our souls, that we would be transformed from the inside out, that we would desire, that we would long for to be to live for Jesus based on how he calls us to. And friend, if your if your ears have not been opened yet to hear the word to hear the the word of the living God. Pray, plead upon this promise. Plead upon this promise where the Lord says, I will make them to hear my words. For apart from having your ears opened, there's death, destruction, there is no life. And you cannot and you will not Worship him rightly.
And friend, when these words, when you hear these words for the first time, you will be changed. You will be changed to see his beauty, to marvel at his glory, to, to weep at your sins, to see the loveliness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will not want to keep it to yourselves. You will desire, you will delight in reaching out and sharing it with those around you, friends and family, neighbors. And this is what the Lord calls us to do. He calls us to instruct and to teach others so that they too will learn to fear Him. And so we desire to see the, our spouses, our children, our friends, our neighbors, this world come to know the fear of the Lord. Do you love the Word? Does it direct your life to live for the Lord? Not according to your own whims and ways, but because this is what He has said and calls us to do. We're called to teach and instruct who our God is, not with the gimmicks of this world, but with the the living word of our God. But this leads us to our second thought, and it leads us to a challenge. We live in a world that emphasizes the visual. By nature, and it seems to be especially in this in this century, we seem to be mesmerized by the visual. All you have to consider is the various uh, social media platforms uh, of our day. Young people think of, not just young people, all of us, think of the, the, the platforms like YouTube and TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook and the immediate presence of short video clips, pictures that try to grab your attention saying, focus here, focus here. Diverting your attention from elsewhere. And young people, this isn't something that just is a a generation problem for you. This is across the board, unfortunately. We are all caught up in this visual-oriented culture. And it impacts. It impacts how we think about God and how we are to worship him. But this challenge is not unique to just the 21st century. It was almost immediately after the Lord had come in the thick clouds and the darkness and the smoke with his word, his law. And as Moses went up into the mountain, what do we find Israel doing? Aaron, can you make us a calf, an image? And Aaron took the gold and the, and made and formed a, a graven, a molten calf that they began to worship. They wanted to see what they were going to worship. Philip also, you think of Philip as he desired, said to Jesus, show us the Father. And remember what Jesus had said to him. Philip, if you see me, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Or we can think of Thomas after Jesus' resurrection, and he's gathered with his fellow disciples, and they said, we've seen Jesus. And he said, unless 
I could see and touch. It was a desire to have the physical satisfied, the physical sight satisfied. But our Lord calls us in his wisdom to, as he, the second time, to take heed, to be on guard. He calls us to, to not be caught up in this vis- visual-oriented culture. He says, because I did not reveal myself in any form, any manner of similitude. There is no physical representation. And because I did not reveal myself to you in any discernible form, the Lord is saying to us, you may not. No, you must not make anything that attempts to, to confine the person, my person and my character. Or as our catechism says, we may not in any way represent God by images, for God neither can nor may be represented by any means. By any means. And our commandment, the commandment, second commandment, specifically mentions graven and carved images of any likeness of anything that is in the heavens, in the sea, in the earth, But as we have already mentioned, most of us will not be accused of making, carving a a physical image and putting it in our homes and worshiping it. But idolatry is so much more than the production and the worship and the serving of a physical image. Alistair Begg gives this definition of the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of God. That is, coming to God with imaginations which are the product of our minds rather than biblical revelation. Let me read that definition again. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of God. That is, coming to God with the imagination, with imaginations which are the product of our mind rather than biblical revelation. How do you think about God? Who, who is God? Do we think of Him in terms of how He has comprehensively revealed Himself to us in His Word? Or do we limit him? Do we try to confine him in our understanding of who he is? Maybe focusing on one aspect of his character in the process, minimizing or pushing other aspects to the background. Have you ever thought or said something along the lines of, I I think of God as... Maybe, maybe, I think of God as a, as a heavenly architect. One who's, who's made everything. He's planned this world beautifully. He's behind the order that we see all around us. Or maybe, maybe I think of God as a, just as a God who hates sin and cannot and will not overlook sin. Or what about, uh, I think of God as a loving heavenly father who gives us all good things that we need in this life or the next. 
Now, in and of themselves, in the broader comprehensive scope, these can be all true. But if we limit, if we limit our understanding of who God is to one aspect of his character, we entertain thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. And it can and will impact the way we live and worship and serve him. Ultimately, when we attempt to confine God to a graven image or a mental image in our minds, we dishonor him. We fail to give him his glory that he not only deserves, but he demands. We miss out in recognizing, for instance, if we just think of him as, as, an, as the heavenly architect, Almost, maybe it can turn into a deist approach where he's made everything and just lets it sit. And we miss out on his intimate care for his creation, his creatures. Or if we focus, have such a focus on his hatred of sin, we can fail to miss his mercy and love that is seen through Christ who bore his wrath against sin. If we were just focusing on God as a loving heavenly Father, we minimize this, we could minimize his holiness and his justice and his calls for holy living. But not only do we dishonor God with our small views of him, but if this becomes a pattern for our lives. It can misdirect ourselves, but other people around us. Our views of God will impact the way we think, talk, and live. If we see God only as a God of love, we'll often have low views of sin, unappreciated views of the cross and of Christ, which can produce careless living, failing to take heed to his commands, failing to value what he values, failing to love life, to love gathering with his people, to hear his word, failing to praise his name and to to worship him. If we see God as unapproachable and and, an austere God, we're going to find it hard to come to him with all of our cares and needs Questioning even whether he's, he's, does he even care? We'll doubt his promises. If we see God as one who doesn't save easily, he's stingy in his grace and his good gifts, we'll find it hard to ask in faith, questioning whether we'd be able to save, save such a sinner as I am. My friend, It not only impacts us, but our small views of God, but it also impacts those around us. Parents, our children are going to pick up on how we understand, think about, and worship the Lord. And soon we have a a generation that's impacted. And that's why it's so, so important that from this pulpit, in your homes, that we are teaching the whole counsel of God, that we're 
we're applying the whole of Scripture to, to our lives in ways that are pleasing to Him for how we worship Him today and serve Him has implications for the next generation and the next and the next. And this is what Moses directs our attention to in verses 15 and 19. He says, Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for you didn't see any, sim- any manner, any form or likeness of me on that day. And be careful, because if you don't, you will corrupt yourself. And you will make a graven image after the similitude of any figure. Patterned, whether it's after people or living creatures or whatever your mind goes to. As we form these self-conceived images we will begin to worship them and to serve them. Our text says they will be driven. You will be driven to worship and serve them. But the Lord loves his people with an everlasting love, and he will not let his people, the ones he has redeemed, go on and continue in falsely or worshiping in ways that don't please him because He is a jealous God. So we've been called to take heed in the first place to the fact that the Lord has revealed himself through his word and delights in us and delights desiring us to follow him and to take him at his word, to serve him in a way that is pleasing to him. But secondly, we've seen that the Lord cannot and he must not be misrepresented, even in the figment of our imaginations. Because forming images of him, even in our mind, dishonors him, and it confuses others, and can do so for generations. But now in this third call, verse 23, we're called to take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord which he made with you. And make you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a a jealous God. Our Lord calls us to take heed, to be on guard because of who he is. He is a covenant-keeping God. He is a God who has initiated covenant with his people, and he loves his people, and he's jealous over them, and he will not let them go their own way and do their own thing because he cannot and will not allow himself to be misrepresented. He's jealous over his own honor, over his own glory, over his own people. Because these are people that he has chosen. These are people he's redeemed. These are people who he's set apart to be a a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And when his people fail to be that, to be that peculiar people, 
They fail to think of him as he has revealed himself in his word. And in failing to think about him as he is revealed, they will fail to worship him rightly, to serve him in ways that are not prescribed in his word. And his jealousy, which Moses says is expressed in the idea of he's a consuming fire. He will not let his glory go to another. He will get all the glory and the honor. He will not let his name be misaligned. He he will not let his worship be impacted by our conceived imaginations. Because he loves his people. He loves his name. He loves his, his own purposes too much. And on account of his love, he he will restore his people to a right understanding of who he is and how he is to be worshipped. He will afflict them. We think of Moses, and Moses gives himself as an example here in verse 21. He says, When I failed to obey the word of the Lord, I was not allowed to go into the land of Egypt or into the, the promised land. I will die here in the wilderness. Failing to take heed to God's word and living in obedience to it has consequences. But he desires to create a people who live for him. And so, dear children of God, don't we have to again and again confess that we fall short so often in our worship of him? In the keeping of this commandment, how often don't we limit God in our understandings? Limit who he is. Question his abilities to do something. And by consequence, we we worship and serve him so inadequately. And so we need to confess again and again that we fall short. And oh for, oh, for hearts that see him, see his beauty and his glory that drives us to worship him. Oh, for minds and bodies, as we heard yet, uh, last Sunday morning, that are given in willing service, which is, our, which is our reasonable service to our great God and Savior. But maybe, maybe someone asks the question, but how, how, do we, how do we do this? How do we keep this commandment that keeps us focused on who he is and what he's done for sinners like this. Well, we need to look to Jesus Christ. He's the preeminent one. He's the one that the apostle, the author of the book of Hebrews, describes as the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Friend, if you want to see who God is, look to Jesus Christ and his beauty and his glory and his work. Consider his son. And this is what the author to the book of Hebrews does. It's beautiful, the Lord's timing and providence as our brother preached on on, from Hebrews 7.25. 
But over and over in the book of Hebrews, we see the author of this book direct our attention and call us to consider Jesus, to see him. Hebrews 2.9 But we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Hebrews 4.14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. In Hebrews 7.25, as we heard this morning, Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for us. Hebrews 12, 1, verses 1 through 3, as we heard last Sunday evening. Wherefore, seeing we have this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of God, the throne of God. For consider him again, the apostle says, that endures such contradiction. And then, in ver- and then in the end of chapter 12, he calls us to look, to see, see that you refuse him not as the one who speaks. For if they escaped, and he's referring now back to the wilderness travels, if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, Much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And he quotes our passage from Deuteronomy 4, for our God is a consuming fire. Friends, may we, in light of who Jesus is and what he has done, serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God, who is a jealous God, is a God who is a consuming fire. And as we serve him, may we look forward with anticipation to the day where we will see him in glory. For there will be a day, dear child of God, where where you will see him in his likeness. It's a passage we've been directed to actually several times in the in the last uh, several weeks from Psalm 17, verse 15, where David confesses that he will behold thy face in righteousness, and he will be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. And that word for likeness is the same word that's found in our passage three or four times, where the Lord says, you did not see any likeness of me. But David says that he will awake with thy likeness.
he will see his Savior in all his glory and his beauty. Friend, is David's prayer yours? Do you long to see his face in righteousness? Do you long to awake seeing his likeness? Then seek to think of God in terms of his word, worshiping and serving him according to his way, so that he gets all the glory and all the praise. Amen. Lord our God, we are thankful that thou hast revealed thyself in thy word, and by faith we can behold thee, we can see thee, We can see thy beauty, thy majesty, thy honor, thy wisdom. And we see this so beautifully portrayed in the the person and work of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ. May we behold him, consider him, and worship him, and long to be like him, conformed into his image, And one day we will see him in his majesty and glory forever. Lord, help us to not make images of thee, even if it's in our minds, that we may let thy word inform how we understand and think about the Lord our God. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Dear Jason and Hannah, Lena and Judah and Tobias, I know you're not with us in person, but we trust you're listening online. And as you and your family head back to Central Asia to take up your work once more there, we we commend you into the Lord our God's fatherly care and hand. Jason, as you once more take up the labors that you've been called to in this country. We trust that you will know the Lord's presence with you. May you be faithful, continue to be faithful, seeking to speak the gospel into the lives of those who, whom you interact with and meet on, on a regular basis. And we look forward to hearing how the Lord continues to use you and Hannah and your family there. Trusting that you'll be given much wisdom as you lead your team, as you lead your family, your dear Hannah and children in this this faraway place. And Hannah, we trust that you will be sustained as you as you care for your children and as you come alongside Jason. May you may you grow in Christ even in, in that land. May you be encouraged to follow the Lord. Um, seeing his faithfulness to you and your family. And may you um, serve him joyfully there. And dear uh, Lena, Judah, and Tobias, may the Lord be with you. May you, um, from an early age already, know and love and serve him. And remember that no matter where you are as children, the Lord is everywhere present, and you can go to him with, 
with all of your cares and needs and serve him and, and love him. Know that our prayers go with you. That we love you as a, as a family and we look forward to, to hearing from you uh, what the Lord is doing uh, through, the, through your work in Central Asia. May we see God at work, continue to work there. And I'd like to leave you as a family with this text from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brethren, finally, dear family, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and in the God of love and peace shall be with you. And we now like to sing from Psalter 178. A, a, the title of the Psalter is a missionary prayer, and we pray this as we, may we pray this as we sing. Um, and please rise. <laughs>